do it. Beaming from Pacific Junction Hotel to Earth. Girth. Yo, and welcome to my summer lair. I'm Sam Yunin. My guest is Ryan North. His latest book is How to Invent Everything, a survival guide for the stranded time traveler. That's fresh. <laughs> and it's um, a few months ago, too, you had recently published How to Be a T-Rex. Yeah, my first picture book. So you're having quite the year. Quite the how-to year, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Got two um, how-tos. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the time travel one, what was kind of like the experience doing the picture book for the T-Rex? It's interesting because I normally do a lot of comics. I do uh, the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl for mm -hmm. Marvel. And there the process is very close to the artist. Like you'll, you'll work together, you'll give notes back and forth. It's very much a collaboration that's very open. In picture books, I feel like maybe like 30 years ago, some writer really was rude to their artist. <laughs> yes. like, We've got to keep these people separate. Yeah. And it's a whole different culture where you send the script in and the artist does their own thing with it. And, you know, either way, it's awesome because you're seeing something you've written come to life. Mm -hmm. And it's always better than the way you imagined it, which is great. Yeah. But it was it was weird to sort of send in the script and then get the art back with no steps in between. And it's like, oh, well, this is done. This is great. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go take a nap now. Yeah. I, my, it turns out the writing is the easy job. Okay. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. <laughs> All right. I want your secret is safe with me. You mentioned, like, unbeatable Squirrel Girl. And mm -hmm. in the letters page uh, for issue one... You wrote that this book, at the time you're talking about the comic book, but you said this book is an experiment. Can a book like this find an audience? And I'm wondering if it's the same thing, kind of same principle with how to invent everything, like in terms of a time travel, like a stranded time traveler guide. Yeah, no, it's a weird book. I'm worried the bookstores won't, won't know where to put it because it's a nonfiction book. It's a guide to reinventing civilization from scratch, no matter what period of time, what period of time you're stuck in. Mm -hmm. And so that's nonfiction. Like it's legit facts on how to build like, a steam engine and yeah. a hot air balloon and an airplane and a computer. But it's wrapped around this fictional sort of candy coating of this is a repair guide for a time machine that if you get trapped in the past tells you how to fix things. Mm -hmm. And so it's a mixture of fiction and nonfiction which I haven't really seen done before. So that's the experimental part of it that hopefully people can figure this out. And so far, I think they have. They've been like, oh, yeah, the, the time travel part. Time travel is not real, but science is real. <laughs> we can yeah. learn science from this. And that's the thing, like you touched on it, like this book does have like real science. Like, yeah, yeah. It, there's jokes in there too, obviously, like it has real jokes as well, right? <laughs> <laughs> but the science is actually like real when you read this stuff. And yeah. like you cover like not just like steam, and, like you cover like uh, contraception and dog breeding and like philosophy, art, uh, all sorts of technologies, chemistry. Uh, there's instructions on how to blow yourself up if you're not careful in yes. that book. <laughs> you know, it, it was it was uh, a couple years of research trying to figure this out. It's something that I've been thinking about since I was a kid. Thinking, you know, if I went back in time, how useless I would be. Where I'd be like, guys, the future's great. We have computers. Mm -hmm. And they'd be like, how do you build them? And I'd say, I don't know. <laughs> but they're really great once you get there. And so this, this book was sort of an attempt to not only make myself a more competent time traveler, but make myself someone who is better more informed living in the world we live in so i can walk down the street and know like i know how to make soap i know where penicillin comes from i know mm -hmm. i feel like more of a generalist a more competent person in, in the world today which is yeah nice. that makes sense i mean the last couple of years we've been watching a lot of us have been watching like the walking dead and it's mm -hmm. the same thing with the zombie apocalypse because once all that goes away yeah no it's it's it also works if you're in a zombie apocalypse <laughs> practical book but yeah, it's this idea that... Um, I don't know nothing. I'm yeah. useless. I can do this, <laughs> what I'm doing with but you right now. Yeah, <laughs> we, we live in this modern civilization where we are specialized. We're all specialized. And you, can keep, like, you can get higher degrees, masters and PhDs, but those are focused on specific things. 
and we don't need to know how to make a kiln out of clay mm-hmm. so we don't know that stuff it's not relevant to us but knowing it makes you understand where everything comes from and what what the foundations are of the world we live in which i think is really interesting well, and it's also kind of ties into that thing where, I mean, we've all done this, either with an IT person or even a mechanic, where, like, it's making this noise or it's doing this thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think I don't know. Yeah, it's blinking. I don't understand this blinking. No, I, I hate that feeling of going to a mechanic mm-hmm. and being like, my car is broken, and I don't know what the problem is, and I don't know how to fix it, and I guess I'll just pay however much money you asked me for yeah. to fix it. Like, this idea of not knowing enough to make an informed decision is something that this book hopefully solves. I mean, it, it doesn't... It does have internal combustion engines in the book, but it doesn't explicitly say here's how you fix a car, but or how to talk to a mechanic, or how to talk to a mechanic. But it gives you the the like the core competency of knowing the world around us and just feeling like you you understand the world. I think is really important. Mm-hmm. And the time machine that you use in the book is the FC three thousand. Mm-hmm. How does that FC three thousand? How does it compare to other notable time machines like the TARDIS or the DeLorean, DeLorean. or the the rocket sled and time cop? Right. So <laughs> Any the of the uh, other <laughs> classic. How so does it compare? The main difference with the FC3000, which is the time machine that this book is a repair manual for, is that uh, unlike the DeLorean or the others, where if you go back in time and change things, you affect the future. In this book, when you go back in time with the FC3000, you create a parallel timeline. So it's very safe. You can't mess up the future. It's almost like... So baby um, Hitler's safe. Yeah. It's like, it's like a tourism thing. It's like an, an incredibly detailed holodeck. You can go back in time and do different things. And there's no worry about messing up the future or your present. But because of that, uh, there's also the danger of if you're trapped there, no one's going to come back to rescue you. Like you are alone <laughs> in this in this parallel timeline you've created. And why did you choose to, to allow it to go back and then create an alternative timeline rather than doing the sometimes the traditional uh, yeah. time travel where like you go back and then like, you know, like back to future, right? Where you mess up your parents and or you something. you got to fix it. Yeah. Um, the main reason was the premise is it's a rental time machine. So in the future, you can just rent this time machine, go back in time and have some fun. And if that could destroy the future, like if you could kill people and mess things up, that's a really irresponsible thing to be renting out to members of the general public. Which but is if, the Ray Bradbury cautionary yeah, tale. Yeah, exactly. Like we, we've learned that lesson. <laughs> and so by creating a parallel timeline, it makes it something that it's, it's for tourism. It's for fun. It lets random people walking off the street and say, I'd like to visit 1482 and traveling back to the time and seeing what it's like there safely and you think then that time machine is only built just to go back in time it can't go forward right like it can't go to like 2075 or something yeah um i i figure once you invent time machines you pretty much enter this utopian era right because any problem you have you can go to the future and see how they solved it and then go back and fix it so in the in this the premise of the book is that it's mostly rented to go back in time to see what things were like visit ancestors you know meet yourself Make out with yourself if you want. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> the the past is up to you. But we left the future sort of more open for that reason. You believe right now, like you personally, do you believe that there are in twenty eighteen women recording this stranded time travelers? Uh, there's this great quote from Stephen Hawking where he says, The greatest proof that time travel isn't possible is that we're not being visited by hordes of tourists from the future. Which I love. But then I thought it kind of well, works too. It kind of works, but it's like, well, is is this really the most interesting time? And you know, given what's going on politically, maybe it is. <laughs> yeah. So, it could be that the the premise of the book is that our world, our whole universe, is possibly created by a time traveler who traveled back in time, created this parallel timeline with that we're in, and left this book behind that we could find. 
And I like the idea of our whole existence being just, you know, created by a tourist by accident. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's Stepped off fun. the path again or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I've met time travelers. Have you met time travelers? No, tell me about these time travelers <laughs> you met. <laughs> I'd love to hear their secrets. <laughs> so uh, back in, I think, 2005, 2007, MIT had a time traveling convention. Yes, you only ever need one time traveler's right. convention. Right. You can just go to it at the time. <laughs> and so... I went. You uh, went to the Time Travelers Convention? Uh, yes, How I did. was it? <laughs> it was amazing. Oh, man. Because they had, as I said, they had time travelers from the past and the future. I met this one, kind of like an older gentleman, maybe uh, late 50s, early 60s. Mm -hmm. Cool hat. And uh, he was from 2052. So I said, Interesting. Uh, where are you from in 2052? Like, I don't know. If there might be now America. There right. might be something like... And so... He's like, in the future, there is no, like, countries. I was like, okay. Uh, That's you... pretty good for, you know, 40 years of development. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, is it like a province or a state or a territory? He's like, in the future, there are no provinces or territories or states or anything like that. I said, okay, well, you got to be from a city, right? Everybody's got cities. He's like, in the future, there is no cities. There's just one giant landmass. Said okay, does your giant <laughs> landmass have a name? And he's like, absolutely. He's like, it's New Jersey. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so so the think, future is New Jersey. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it was a little depressing, right? So yeah. I mean, maybe he's just from one possible future. We can avoid yeah, this I New hope Jersey so. dystopia. Yeah, I don't up. know. I didn't. I kind of just left it at that. I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't know where to go with that. So I'm like, yeah. Uh, but the other interesting thing, too, was there was a number of professors from MIT. And, of course, those are the eggheads who would have some sort of theories and ideas mm -hmm. about time travel. And one professor, his theory was fascinating. He said it would take so much energy to travel back in time. He's just he's like you just only going back in time. But it would mm -hmm. suck up so much energy from the universe that the universe, knowing what you're about to do, would instantly kamikaze, would take itself <laughs> out. <laughs> I read this interesting theory of the uh, self-elimination idea where, let's say you go back in time and you mess something up. You, leave, you write a note to your to your future self saying, hey, when back in time, here's some stuff you need to know. That changes the timeline, which is, since entropy exists, it must have some cost or some energy expended to change time. Mm -hmm. And so when you reach, when that note reaches you in the present, it's now, if you reach this note, you go back in time, you write a different note. That creates a new time. We're at a different note, and it's all these changes. And the way to preserve the most energy is to have you simply not write a note and not travel back in time in the first place. So hmm. the idea that if you invent time travel, the universe alters itself so that you never happen to invent time travel. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Which would also explain why there's no time travelers here. Wow. That we know of. Okay. That I've met. You've met some, but I haven't. I've met. Yeah, they're an interesting breed. Yeah, if you have a chance. Um, and obviously, the FC3000, they can go back in time. Mm -hmm. It would be worth it to go back in time and to hang out at MIT and to meet. Yeah, crash the party. Yeah. <laughs> they, like I said, there was people from the past and from the future. I don't know if anybody was necessarily stranded. It seemed like everybody had a way to get home. Yeah, these seem like more competent time travelers yeah. than the ones who happen to get stranded at random points in Earth's history. <laughs> and so that's the other thing, then. Is the book irresponsible in a way, knowing that somebody could get stranded in <clears> back in time? Because is that what we want? Just to kind of like thin the herd a little bit? Well, by making parallel timelines, it makes it safe for us, right? I mean, it's it's kind of monstrously unethical to create That's what a I'm parallel timeline at, yeah. just for tourism's sake. But uh, the book does make you... Like, if you just left this book in the past, it would be the most dangerous book in history. Like, if time travel exists, this is the most dangerous book to have lying around. Mm -hmm. But by reading the book, 
you put that knowledge into your head, which makes you the most dangerous person if time travel exists, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Like, if you read the book and then you go back in time, you are set. You are ready to go. So, I mean, most books only offer you a couple hours of entertainment. This book offers you the chance to be a god in the past. Yes. <laughs> no other book can make this claim. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, that's, like, a lot of power. Because yeah. even if it's an alternative timeline, you're really going to disrupt yeah. timeline, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, we saw this. This is a terrible time travel movie, but Hot Top Time Machine... <laughs> it still counts. Still counts, <laughs> I suppose. But they went back in time. They invented like Google and all the mm. other stuff, right? So they 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 fuzzed with the uh, kind of like the future. Yeah, there's um the interesting thing I found researching this book is that there's a lot of points in history in which we humans could have invented something and didn't, where we had all the material we needed and then didn't actually put the pieces together in the right way. You're talking about something like Blockbuster should have created Netflix or something. Oh, that's a good example. I was thinking more like. You know the compass. Oh, okay. sorry. <laughs> or like sorry. pasteurization. Okay, but clearly, I didn't. arguably more fundamental than blockbuster, but still, <laughs> um, this idea that if you did go back in time and knew what was coming, you could invent things ahead of schedule. Like the, the compass, we had we knew that some rocks stick together in 200 BCE, so we knew what magnets were. Mm-hmm. Didn't invent the compass until 1000 CE, 1200 years later, and so that's that's the over a thousand years where we had could invent compasses and didn't. And just to, to invent a compass is not hard. You take your magnet and you tie it to a string. The string lets the rock rotate freely. The rock points towards north. There's your compass. So that means tying a rock to a string took us a thousand years. <laughs> so as a time traveler, there's some room to improve there. You can you can tie a rock to a string in 200 BCE, and suddenly we've got planetary navigation a thousand, two hundred years ahead of schedule. So is that a commentary on us, or is it just a the way bit. the evolution of thinking kind of goes? I think the the takeaway there is that new ideas are hard, and it's hard to... It's very easy to think that the way the world is is the way the world should be and will always be. And it can be depressing to find all these moments in history in which we could have invented something and didn't. But it's also kind of inspiring because there are, there's probably something right now in 2018 that we could be inventing. We have everything we need and haven't invented yet. And that's exciting. Like I don't know what we're missing, but I'm excited to see what it is when someone finally comes up with it. And in terms of like being a god... With time travel, do you think people would abuse those privileges and like, or do you think we would ever like ethically like you? You mentioned like the holodeck, for example, with Star mm-hmm. Trek, right? And I understand it's a PG show, so they kind of sanitize it. But for the most part, like, there's not a lot of like uh, the dark side of the holodeck, right? Mm-hmm. Which you could obviously clearly see. Like, for the most part, they had evolved as humans in terms of their ethics, in terms of their morals, and they were like more or less fine with the holodeck. I mean, Barkley recreates people he knows yes <laughs> and makes them sexier which is super sketchy uh jordy recreated the woman who designed the enterprise engines and then kind of fell in love with her oh yeah and yeah, then yeah. met the real dr leia brams and it was really awkward it's like this is like jordy you were clearly in the wrong there yes like you th- what you did was creepy super creepy so i mean if you if you could go back in time and create a parallel timeline there are clearly some huge ethical implications there that the book sort of gestures towards and then says, don't worry about it because you're already stranded in the past. But yeah, it's uh, it's a not unproblematic thing to be doing. Yes. <laughs> create a whole parallel timeline just for entertainment or tourism purposes. Because yeah, that would almost then kind of feed back into what you're saying with the holodeck where it almost feed our selfish nature or our darker nature. Oh yeah, it's way worse than the holodeck. Like, holodeck is just computer programming, so it's... It's, there's no real humans there, but if you're creating parallel timeline, there's real humans living there. Yeah. 
that you're now kind of responsible for. <laughs> <laughs> but you're the god, so... Uh, you're the god, you, yeah. You so get to decide who lives and who dies. Yeah. And one of the interesting things you say, you talk about language as a technology. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Because that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I think I, I did my master's in linguistic, computational linguistics. And what really struck me during my studies there was that I always thought of language as being natural. Like, like babies speak language. It seems normal. But uh, there were these studies that you can't do now because they're super unethical, where there was this theory that if you didn't teach children any language, then they would speak Hebrew, the language of God. And so they... Uh, really? That's bizarre. That's, that's the theory. And so they isolated these children, and they never grew up with language. And once you get past puberty, it's very hard to learn language. And so these kids just never learned a language. And like that's horrible. It's super unethical. But you see, even feral children, mm-hmm. they have a hard time learning language after puberty. And there's this idea that if you don't learn something while your mind is still more elastic, you'll never be able to learn it. And it really drove home to me the idea that you know language is something that humans invented for themselves. And if all of us one day decided not to teach our children language, like we would lose that technology. It's, it's something that we invented hmm. and we can lose. And it feels so invulnerable. Like, I can't lose language. We talk all the time. We're talking right now. But yeah. we absolutely could. It's, it's much more fragile than we think, especially written language. Like that is, that is even harder than spoken language. You need to be able to read and transform visible shapes into invisible sounds in your head. Like that's a, that's a crazy thing when you think about it. When you read a book... When you read my book, you're yeah. hearing my voice. The words I wrote are appearing in your head as yeah. if they're your own thoughts. Like, that is insane. Yes. <laughs> we just treat it as normal. But this is a, they're both technologies, that both spoken and written language are technologies that we invented to, uh, you know, make, this, make being human less lonely. Mm-hmm. And I think treating them as technologies has a lot of value there. It would get harder, too, the further back you go, though. Because language would not be developed after yeah, like yeah, if our collective <coughs> language wouldn't be developed. We'd yeah. almost be the feral children. Yeah, that's the thing. If you find yourself in like 200,000 BCE and nobody's speaking, your best, your best approach is not to try to approach you know, the cave men, but the cave babies. Because um, in that time period, there's something called anatomically modern humans, which are humans that have the same bodies as we do. And that means that if you could teach them as children, when they're still able to learn language very easily, uh, you could bring them up to where we are today. Like a baby born today and a baby born 100,000 years ago, they're the same species. Oh, yeah, It's that's just true. education. Mm-hmm. And so it seems crazy to think that you could kidnap this baby from the Stone Age and bring it to the modern era and teach it, and it would be indistinguishable from any other human. <laughs> I'd watch that movie. Yeah, right? Like evolution <laughs> moves very slowly, and you can, you can. Everything we have around us is because we start teaching babies technology, language, from the moment they're born. And we're, babies are smart. Like they, they derive not just a language, but the very idea of language is from hearing it. Mm-hmm. They figure out just by hearing their parents talk, they think, maybe this has some semantics to it. Maybe this has some information. I will deduce language from first principles all on my own mm-hmm. and then speak it back to them. Like that is in, We're all geniuses when we're two yeah. months old. It's yes. incredible. <laughs> yes. There's even a couple of kids every now and then that will recognize their names too. Yeah, no, it's, it's nuts. It's, I'm so impressed by what babies do. Like Early language acquisition is the most impressive thing, I think, that humans do. One of the issues of like going back in time is uh, like not to focus on your loved ones necessarily, but to kind of like get clean water and like mm-hmm. basics. Yeah, well, if you're if you're stranded in the past, there's there's stuff that we take for granted, like like drinking water, like soap, yes. <laughs> like heat mm-hmm. that uh, may not be there. And it's like we we're talking earlier about, about not knowing stuff. Like I went back in time before I wrote this book, 
I would say, yeah, you know, if you want to stay safe, wash your hands with soap and water. And they'd say, how do you make soap? And I'd say, I have no idea how to yeah. make soap. It seems important to know. And like even knowing that that germs exist, that you can clean yourself with soap and water, you'd save untold millions of lives in all sorts of circumstances. Like just controlling disease is the most fundamental thing you can do in the past. That would make you a god. Right? Like if you're if your civilization people have penicillin, you have antibiotics and people know about disease, you're doing better than any any other civilization on the planet until the 20th century. <laughs> <laughs> you are doing great. But that's also the other thing that I kind of find fascinating. We've kind of touched upon this a little bit, but the idea that like you can like you can absorb all of the what's in your book and basically fast forward civilization like yeah. by thousands of years in certain cases depending on how what, what you choose to build and what you kind of choose to do yeah no that was, that was the fun of writing the book is that you know most most science books you read kind of perceive from the premise that humans are smart and look all these smart things we invented we invented rocket ships that's amazing and it's true but there's also room to optimize so much and there's all this stuff that we could have had sooner but didn't and i feel like that's really really interesting and lots of room for the motivated time travelers who optimize our timeline for sure but it's like fast forwarding evolution in a sense right yeah yeah i mean I can, you're kind of rolling the dice because if you if you give everything we have today to people in you know the year 10 mm -hmm. then it could be that by the time you reach the year 2018 there's no longer life on earth to speak of because we've destroyed ourselves you're kind of rolling the dice there but mm -hmm. i am I guess, a fundamentally optimistic person. And I think the most valuable resource we have on Earth is human brains. And the best thing we can do as a society, as a civilization, is to build things to support those human brains. So to, like, give them food, give them water, give them sustainable lifestyles so that they can live to maturity and invent some cool new stuff for us. Like, that's... All the greatest stuff comes from human brains. Need more of them. And what about then if you go travel back in time and you start messing everything up the timeline and you start like talking to like cave babies and sure. teaching them language and sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you invent beer and all kinds of stuff and water. Anyway, you do all this stuff. Um, oh, shoot. I just lost my train of thought. Okay. We'll come back to that because I sure. had something that you just <laughs> said. What you just said that was really cool and I want to come back to it. All right. Okay. Based on the flow chart then. Uh, you had a flowchart of like where are you stranded to identify mm -hmm. where you when are. When are you stranded? When when are you stranded? <laughs> Sorry, yes. Is there a particular time or era that's better to be stranded in? It depends what you're looking for. If you're looking to make the biggest influence on history, you want to be stranded around 200,000 BCE because that's when anatomically modern humans are there, but behaviorally modern humans aren't. So behaviorally modern humans are humans that behave like us. They bury their dead. They decorate their bodies. They create art and stuff. Culture we, almost. Culture, yeah. And we don't really know what, what changed because they show up around 50,000 BCE. And that's 150,000 years in which we were anatomically modern but not behaviorally modern. So the question is, well, what changed? And one of the theories is that, well, maybe it was language. Maybe we finally figured out how to talk to each other. And once you, once you talk, you're no longer trapped inside your own body. You can start sharing ideas, mm -hmm. maybe thinking, hey, let's, if other people can talk back to me, they must be the same as me. We should show some respect to the dead. Let's create art to share it. Like, as soon as you start thinking that other people have the same experience as you do, you have this theory of mind, then the world changes for you. So if you want to influence history the most, that's a great time to be in. If you want to live comfortably, I'd say, like, go back 20 years at most. Yeah. <laughs> there's still antibiotics. There's still basic computers. Invest in whatever tech companies you want to. You'll be fine. It depends on really what you want to get out of 
this trip through time, what your goals are. Mm -hmm. In terms of going back in time and fast forwarding civilization and doing all these really cool things, does fate play a part in this or like God play a part in this? Or is there some sort of predestination or is there some sort of a lot of books and movies have some sort of something, a synchronicity or something that's like, yeah, the timeline kind of knows how to correct itself. <laughs> Like, you know, when you eat something or whatever, and then it's like, oh, I don't know what this is. I can't digest <laughs> this. this. Yeah. So you got to throw it up. Right. So there's like the the timeline antibodies, I guess, yeah. for like a better phrase. Uh, you have to sort of answer that question by experimenting and seeing. Uh, there's a great theory I've seen for Back to the Future where when Marty changes things in the past, they tend to snap back to very close to what they were. When he when he gets back to the 1985, his dad is now a more successful author. His mother is a more happy person, but he's still got the same siblings. They've still got the same names. Everything's very similar. So this idea that the universe has a preferred shape and you stretch it out, it wants to snap back into something close to what it originally was. So that could be an explanation. This is just, and this is, this is coming from a fictional movie I saw when I was six years old. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not saying it's got a lot of actual science behind it, but... To find out, all we need to do is build working time machines and then run controlled experiments, and we'll know for sure. Okay. <laughs> Easy, right? Easy. Yeah. I think so, yeah. You raised money uh, through Kickstarter for this book. Mm -hmm. I find this kind of interesting. When you announced this and when you were raising funds for it, were people kind of naturally gravitating towards the whole idea of time travel and they kind of really dug this idea or they're just kind of supporting you as an artist? And You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, it was surprising. When I, when I announced the book, because um, I had thought about what would I do if I was stuck in the past since I was since I saw Back to the Future since I was six years old? And I never really spoke about it with anyone. And then I announced this book, sort of answering this question. And I got all these messages from people saying, I have thought about this same thing since I was a kid. I've worried about this. I try to figure out, try to memorize the formula for gunpowder. So at least <laughs> yes. I'd know that if I went back in time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Then and you could ru ru ruck yeah, us. Yeah, you'd be in, you'd be in, in yeah. position of power. And... It surprised me how much, how universal this was, where there are a bunch of us out there who have worried about what we would do if we were stranded in the past. And it's a fun thought experiment. I remember being a kid and I have this game I'd play where I would just pretend in that moment I had been dropped there with no memories. I'm trying to figure out what time period I've been from clues around me. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we're in trouble now because we got rid of newspapers. <laughs> I know, there's something to hold me like, oh my gosh, yeah. 2018, I went back too far. <laughs> yes. But he still grab people like passers-by by the shoulders and say, what year is this? Oh, yes, yes. another classic time yeah, travel yes. trope. <laughs> but it's a surprisingly universal thing, I think, Yeah. worrying about that. And so did, did writing this book and working on it, did this alleviate your fears now? You feel more comfortable. So if you suddenly ended up back in time when there's dinosaurs roaming the earth or something, you'd be fine? I mean, I want to say yes. I feel like the example of dinosaurs roaming the earth is a bit more challenging because there's no other humans there and you're surrounded by, you know, peak predators <laughs> <or laughs> giants. So I might not be fine in that era, but I could at least keep my hands clean and build a nice <laughs> house, invent steel, make an engine, stuff like that. Um, but I do feel after writing the book that I had, I had solved this problem for myself. Like, I feel like if I went back in time, I would be better prepared for it and i haven't felt like that my entire life so it's a nice feeling it's a very selfish reason to write a book to be like you know what i want to answer this for myself hope other people care about it too but i feel like you get a lot of interesting textbooks out of that a lot of interesting uh just experiences where when it's something that someone really cares about and then writes about exploring that idea 
that's great. Like those are my favorite forms of movies where you pick one subject and just talk about it. And at the end of that, you're like, now I know about X. I understand surviving in the past <laughs> or rebuilding civilization mm-hmm. or the font Helvetica. <laughs> yes. Something, some minor focus that you know, you've got that checked off. You've covered it. You mentioned like people were also thinking similar to you in terms of like, oh no, what if I got trapped back mm. in time or like I'm in the 60s or something. What is it you think that fuels our fascination with time travel and this idea of going back in time? Is it like, is it a dissatisfaction with the present or uh, do people have regrets or? I think, I mean, we all have regrets. I feel like part of the fantasy is going back and fixing things. Uh, or the like quantum leap thing. Fixing things. <laughs> yeah, setting right what once went wrong. <laughs> hoping yes. the next leap will be your leap home. Like that's a great premise. But I know it sold me for yeah, all that. <laughs> you can get, I don't know, five years of TV out of that, yeah. no problem. Um, but I feel like also there's the idea of the past being a foreign country. When you look at an old photograph of yourself and you don't recognize, you're like, ah, why did no one tell me I look like an idiot? Yeah. Why did no one tell us we all look like idiots? Yes. Like it's this that hair of, wasn't cool. Yeah, that hair was never cool. But it was in 1992. And we just all thought it was amazing. And this idea of, of going back and knowing then what we knew now is, is really... Not just not just a power fantasy, but it's really interesting to imagine like getting one more conversation with a friend before things go south, or one more conversation with a loved one before things go wrong. That's a really, I think, universal fantasy of fixing things. And that's what you were seeing, like when the people are talking to you and like people on Kickstarter and supporting the book, they're they're excited for those kind of personal moments, or were they kind of excited about the evil? I kind of like the evil a little bit too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like the, the main idea there is they're excited about. If they were sent back in time, they'd now know not only to say the future is great, but how to explain what those things are. Like, there is a risk that you get burned as at the stake as a heretic, but there's the promise of, at the very least, you'll be able to show people what they're missing. Instead of just saying, the future is great, I can't tell you why. You can say, the future is great, and here's how you build it. Like, that's, that's fun, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you mentioned Back to the Future a couple of times. Uh, was there any kind of uh, science fiction movies or TV shows that kind of influenced... Uh, your love of time travel, because you seem to have quite a passion for it. So this has been something that's kind of been brewing (laughs) for a while. I do. I feel like I spent like ages 6 to 12 exclusively thinking about time travel. I didn't... I'm almost certain I had never even thought of the idea of time travel until I saw Back to the Future. And it just blew my mind. And then I saw Back to the Future 2 in theaters, and that ends in a cliffhanger saying you have to see Back to the Future 3. And I'd never seen that before, and I was so angry that a movie couldn't end. Yeah, <laughs> I know. You had to wait another year to see the conclusion. Ah, oh, I was furious. But I spent a lot of Now we're all conditioned for the Marvel movies, though. I know, but that's... You at least get an ending. It's like, here's the next little bit. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a different beast. But yeah, it's, um, it's something I've thought about a lot. And it's crazy because, in many ways, it's not a practical thing to think about, given the time tr- machines don't exist yet there's no way to my knowledge i mean this is what something you've made to say there's no way i'm gonna get sent back in time but to my knowledge there's no way i'm gonna get sent back in time so i'm preparing for this eventuality that probably will not happen but it's so interesting and so fun to sort of explore this idea and it has implications in real life where now like i said i feel like a more competent person but i feel like the the core ideas of time travel of 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 fixing things of changing things and seeing what had come before with the new light. Uh, I think that's something pretty universal. You're talking almost about hope. Yeah, yeah, the hope that, that things could be better and that you alone could fix it. Like, that's that's a great fantasy. Yeah. If I just said the right thing at the right time, it could all turn out differently. Mm-hmm. It's a much better idea than 
this is what I'm fated to be, and there's no way to change it. Like that's we're that's, back to quantum leap again. Yeah, I mean that's a very fatalist thing to be like, you know, whatever happens happens. There's no, whatever your fate is, that's your destiny. You can't change it. Like that is just throwing your hands up in the air and saying, whoever I am, that's it. But thinking, if something had gone differently, things would be different. That means you could change the past. But if you don't have a time machine, it means you can at least change your future. You're not stuck on this course. You can always make a different decision, choose better, and change the way things are going in the future. And that's that's great, right? That's power. Back to the Future is interesting, too, because it was such a mainstream movie. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of sci-fi, like you mentioned Star Trek, uh, Quantum Leap, I think, is not really that mainstream uh, Doctor Who is getting a little bit more popular, but yeah. still, you know what I mean? But, like, ev- almost everybody's <laughs> Back to the Future and, like, got to kind of uh, play and imagine with the, si- with the time travel. It's such a... The screenplay for that movie is incredible because... If you look at when Marty actually goes back in time, it's you know, almost like halfway through the movie when that happens. Like you're surprisingly deep into the movie before you get any actual time travel. And everything that's set up in that time before the first trip back in time pays off later on. Like it's, I think one of the reasons it was so popular is that it's a very satisfying movie to watch because everything fits together so nicely, mm-hmm. which is what you want for a time travel movie. You want things to be set up and pay off and have some twist in the past. And everything works so well in that. So I think that's, that's what helps sort of if it can be said that Back Future brought the idea of time travel out of the you know sci-fi ghetto into the mainstream, it's probably because it's such a well-crafted movie that it works so well that people were into it. And we've we mentioned uh, Star Trek and uh, Marty McFly and Quantum Leap. Are there any particular time travels? It can be also. It doesn't have to be uh, sci-fi or TV. I mean. Mm. Uh, John Tudor, for example, he's kind of well known as a time traveler. Uh, is there any particular time that travelers <laughs> that uh, that stand out to you or kind of cool? Or yeah, there's one. Um, I think it's on the most recent series of Doctor Who, where uh, he's stuck, basically on this planet, and his TARDIS, his time machine, is stuck by this wall of solid diamond. And every time he dies, he regenerates. Not in the Doctor Who, he's re- reborn. And without his memories, he thinks he's there for the first time. And so it's not technically time travel, but every time he dies, he loses his memories. And so over the course of millions of years, he repeatedly finds a TARDIS and starts punching this diamond wall until after all this time, he's punched a hole through solid diamond to mm-hmm. reach his TARDIS. And it's that sort of thing that you get when you start playing with time. When you have these huge dramatic sticks that you can't get in real life, but the determination to punch through a wall of solid diamond with just your hands. Like that's, I can't think of a better imagery, better symbol, some symbol for just, I don't care how long it takes. I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes me literally a million years for this impossible task to pull off. Like that's, that's something that's really appealing that you get only when you, when you expand the scope of the story into sci-fi into time travel into genre stuff where you can start exploring new ideas like that. Yeah, I mean, the angels, for example, too, on uh, Doctor Who. So creepy. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> creepy. I know I'm going to have nightmares now. But they, they were kind of stealing your like your time, your essence. Yeah, that's. I always remember that because the main thing about them is if you, look at, if, you don't, if you look at them, they're statues. If you look away, they're not. They mm-hmm. can move very fast. And I had actually forgotten until you mentioned that they did sort of steal your future and that they, they were fueled off potential or something. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's the time travel part. But the main thread of that is just turn your back and you're dead <laughs> yes which goes you back blink to what, and you're dead. which goes back to what you're saying about time did this book then give you a new appreciation for time yeah um i appreciated how long it took me to write it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but it's it's something that 
once you start looking into it, you realize, yeah, you know, there's this is something that a lot of people think deeply about. And the fact is that we're all here on Earth for a certain period of time, and then we die. And you can't really change... Well, you can't change what time period you're born in, but you can change what you do while you're there. And so it's cliche to be like, you know, every day is a gift. Use it to the maximum potential. But carpe diem. Carpe diem. But it's without time machines. Like, you have a limited number of diems to carpe. Yes. <laughs> so you should carpe as much as you can. And if one day's like crappy and the printer's broken. and Carpe and the next diem. Yeah, right? <laughs> and that I think sometimes, too, that's the other thing we kind of take for granted is just like, you get you get told over and over again that guys are going to live 72.5 years of mm-hmm. life or whatever the number is now and then women last longer or something 80 yeah. years or something 80 and versus 86 i think some yeah right so you you just kind of just naturally take it for granted at after a certain point cuz you keep getting told that over and over and then you're like i'm not going to do anything today i'm going to take a nap now i'm taking my pants off and <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean and we throw that stuff away yeah i remember uh, being a teenager and i looked up you know what the actuarial tables were for people born where I was when I was and I had however many years left to me so I calculated based on my birthday the day I would die if I lived the average amount and I was like oh 2065 okay (laughs) here we are and I've I forget the exact day now but I remember 2065 being that's no more Ryan like when I see a date that's 2070 I'm like well I'll never see that okay (laughs) if I see 2050 I'm like I might see that I'll be an old man yeah I might see it and it's been this uh, thing in my life where I sort of treat that as this is when I'm going to die. And it's completely crazy because I could die two seconds from now. Hopefully mm-hmm. I don't. I made it. Great. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That would have been an awkward ending to the <laughs> interview. <laughs> but oh I, was, I could also potentially live longer than that. Like I'd live to be 100. And so it's, it's random and it's arbitrary to think of 2065 as being my death date. But ever since I calculated it, I can't. I can't forget that information. So it's something I just measure time around. Mm-hmm. 2065. Okay. Maybe we'll have you come back in 2065 <laughs> and then we'll see. Oh, you won't. It'll be real yeah. sad. Yes. Uh, before we wrap up, though, I mentioned like you writing for Marvel, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. And um, Marvel obviously has like a number of time travelers, uh, Kang. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of uh, great storylines. Uh, the X-Men, of course, mm-hmm. constantly go. Their future is always <laughs> horrible. <laughs> it's never. Yeah, a rough time. Yeah. Always like 10 years in the future. Things go bad for the X-Men. Yeah. Are you going to be continuing doing work with Marvel or doing some time travel stuff with them? Yeah, or? actually, I did a big Squirrel Girl time travel story, uh, I think, last year, where she went back in time to the 60s. And she had to fight Doctor Doom in the 60s, which was fun. Uh, I don't feel like i she might go to the future she isn't even in the future yet and the problem with going to the future is that i feel like like as a writer you want the stories to have stakes and if you go to the future it always feels like oh this is a possible future like you could go back and change this these people all disappear it feels very almost like a dream sequence like i don't want it to feel like it's a dream sequence i haven't figured out a way to make the future feel like it's real mm-hmm. now even though like we're talking about the future of imaginary characters yes but you want, but I mean that's what I mentioned X Men, right? Like yeah, like you you care about what Kitty Pride and Wolverine are. Yeah, up to. and when they get the M on their eye and stuff oh, like that in the future, times. <laughs> <laughs> like, Sentinels everywhere. I'm like, oh, we that, screwed that, up again. Humans yeah, screwed up again. That Days of Future Past storyline that is, I think, three issues. It's so short, mm-hmm. but it's such a good story and such a cool idea that we keep thinking about it. And like everyone talks about, not everyone, but comic readers always like, oh, Days of Future Past. That's a cool, cool idea. And I would love to to have something like that happened with squirrel girl like this is the the seminal story that we all talk about even though it was just a couple issues and it's been 30 years we're still talking about it like, mm-hmm. that's i think the goal of any writer is to still be relevant 
after you've written it. All right. But for now, speaking of relevance, the book is How to Invent Everything, a survival mm. guide for the stranded time traveler. It's out now at all the Amazon and uh, Indigos and chapters and everything else. Thank you, Ryan, for coming in. We covered well, a lot. Like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we covered like from Back to Future, Quantum Leap. We got to give a shout out to the Evil Leapers, too. They kind of <laughs> came in at the end. of the. Uh, shout out to all know. the time travelers. Yeah. Stranded or otherwise. So yes. we hope that, again, like Quantum Leap, we hope you find your way home. Hope the next leap will be the one home. There you go. We got to end it there. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. Cheers. My name is Sammy. You can follow me on the Twitter at MyPalSammy. This has been my summer lair. <laughs>